RadioInfluence.com. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another exciting episode of Sitting Ringside. My name is David Penzer. We are so happy, as always, to have you here for this thing we call a podcast. Uh, that is, this is going to be episode 101. We hit episode 100 last, uh, not last week, but the week before. Took a week off. That's about the only time I could take a vacation in the real estate business is uh, the July 4th week because everybody kind of goes dormant. So uh, that was my uh, one chance to get away. And other than the fact that I broke, cracked a, uh, a rib, which is a long story, uh, had a great time. Uh, if you could have a great time despite cracking a rib, it was a great time. So uh, sorry for the week off, but uh, we're back with episode 101. And uh, the one thing I did get to do that worked out pretty well when I was, took the week off is I got to uh, be a guest on uh, Primetime with Sean Mooney. And... Um, so I asked him if, uh, and by the way, if you haven't heard that yet, uh, be sure to go over and check that out. It was a fun uh, discussion with Sean and wanted to flip the script, so to speak, on Sean and, and, and hear about his story. So Sean's going to join us in just a moment and talk to us. And, you know, uh, it's funny. I know a lot of the, when I interview some of these guys, because I've drove up and down the road with them, I know a lot of what they're going to say. I try to bring out funny stories and tidbits uh, that, that I don't know. But uh, a lot of the times I know, you know, some of the preliminary uh, answers to the questions. I know very little about Sean Mooney and his journey. So I'm looking forward to having a little bit of a different conversation to where I really have no idea where it's going. And we could, uh, we could have some fun talking about his, his life and how he uh, got into the wrestling business and uh, why he left and, and some fun stuff in the middle. So looking forward to that. Uh, just checked out uh, the AEW show uh, this past weekend, the uh, fight for the fallen, a couple of uh, generic uh, thoughts I thought the matches were way too long for the most part. Uh, it's cool to have some long matches to build up, a, a, you know, a story. But um, I thought that all of them were a little bit too long. And um, not that all of them, but combined. I think it was like a four and a half hour show. And uh, sometimes less is more. But um, uh, I thought the matches were fine. The matches were good. The production was fine. I thought my old buddy Alex Marvez did a much better job. Uh, production was great. And, um, they, they, you know, I understand they're slowly having to tell stories because they have a, a few major events uh, before their TV kicks off. Speaking of TV kicking off, the one thing that I hope, and I'm going to give them a pass on this, is that once TV kicks off, we get to know the, the, the talent. We get to know the stories behind some of the wrestlers, the stories behind the angles. Um, you know, for example, um, you know, what's a Luchasaurus? Uh, how did he become friends with Jungle Boy and what's their connection? Because I, I find them entertaining. Uh, why is Brandy Rhodes the uh, head of the women's division? Why did she just turn heel and... Is that going to cause any friction with her husband? Uh, is it going to cause any friction in the office with the other uh, uh, VPs? Um, you know, that's the kind of stuff that they haven't dived into enough uh, 
quite yet, and I'm hoping they're saving that for for television. So uh, I'm not putting any negativity on that uh, at all. And they're just introducing the talent um, as performers. But uh, I really hope once the TV starts, we get to find out about uh, their backstories and uh, stories that you're telling. Uh, the only one we really got. Uh, which was Brandy uh, doing a tearful uh, interview about uh, failing and not having the confidence in, in her wrestling ability ended up being a swerve to turn heel. So, but, 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 but that was compelling for what it was. It didn't ended up being a swerve, like I said, but it was compelling, but really looking forward to when, um, when they get on television and uh, to see where they go from there, because uh, there's a lot of great talent and a lot of young and up and coming talent that I had never heard of. And I'm just getting to know and a lot of great women talent, uh, a lot of uh, Asian uh, uh, women wrestlers that I had never heard of before. And um, they're fun to watch and sort of like I've said before, that part sort of reminds me about. A little bit of that, like Nitro. You got, you know, you got Little Lucha. You got uh, international women. You have uh, two monster women that looks like they're going to clash off with Aja Kong and Awesome Kong. Uh, you have some high spots. You have a technical match like Shima versus Kenny Omega, which built very nicely. And then a uh, the main event, which uh, I just think at that point, the match was fun, great. At that point, I just think the crowd... Uh, Look, I'm a Florida guy. Uh, it's been 90 degrees uh, when I go to sleep at night. So it was an outdoor event. And after four hours plus, I think the crowd was uh, was, was just a little sweated out, so to speak. But um, but but overall, I'd, I'd, I'd give the show a B and uh, just uh, maybe uh, time the matches uh, so that every match isn't quite as long. And once you get on TV, uh a little bit of character development, a lot of character development, but um, that's what I'm hoping for. And um, they kind of lost me at Marco stunt. I'm still haven't figured out what a Marco stunt is. I'm, I'm, if anybody knows what a Marco stunt is and what that whole gimmick's about, uh, hit me up on Twitter at David Penzer because I still haven't figured the Marco stunt. Nothing against Marco stunt. I'm sure he's a nice kid. Uh, I just haven't figured out the, the gimmick behind it. So, although it did take me a couple of shows to figure out what the Luchasaurus was, so uh, so hopefully uh, uh, I will figure that one out. But um, uh. It's fun watching that show and uh, haven't gotten a chance to watch Evolve yet, but congratulations to Sal and Gabe and, and those guys uh, for uh, establishing a working relationship with WWE and, and Paul Levesque and, and elevating themselves and, and giving uh, Paul and Vince and the crew the trust to put a live event on the WWE Network. So competition's great for everybody. More eyes watching the product. There's probably more eyes on watching wrestling last night between, or two nights ago, between uh, All Elite Wrestling and uh, the Evolve anniversary show on WWE Network that has been for a long time for two shows that uh, were not considered major pay-per-views. It wasn't a WrestleMania. It wasn't a double or nothing. It wasn't, uh, you know, a, a, a Ring of Honor Madison Square Garden show. So I, I think that uh, that uh, I'm really enjoying what's happening in the business. I'm seeing a lot of good people that have worked really hard with, uh, you know, taking baby steps that are now taking huge steps. So good for them. Good for them and uh, good for the business and good for the boys and the girls and everybody else. So that is uh, 
that is my opinion on this past weekend's of wrestling. So I'd love to hear what you have to say. Once again, at David Penzer or at Penzer Ringside. Be sure to hit me up if you don't already follow me. Be sure to do that. And uh, we are hoping, we have our fingers crossed, we are hoping that next week, but if not, within the next couple of weeks, we're going to get to talk to Jim Ross uh, from All Elite Wrestling and talk about a little bit about his, uh, his, his career and about what he's doing now and the challenges and uh, the positives and what he's looking forward to. So be on the lookout for that on City Ringside. Right now, though, time to flip the script. My guest this week is a longtime host of Event Center. Uh, funny, I used to I used to pretend I was hosting the Event Center. I used to practice hosting the Event Center, and uh, and not only did I get to do that uh, to a lesser extent in WCW hosting the market promos, live uh, market promos, but uh, got to uh, appear on Sean's podcast, and now we got him on Sydney Ringside. Please welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Mister Event Center himself, Sean Mooney. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank Sean Mooney and his podcast, Primetime with Sean Mooney. Uh, they featured me as a guest this past week. And if you haven't heard it, please go and check it out. Uh, it was a fun conversation and a lot of positive feedback on social media. And um, fun little uh, tale about my story and how I got to where I was and the perseverance that went along with it. I was telling uh, Sean, hey, Sean, how are you? Good, good. Thanks was, for having me, David. Sure. I was telling Sean off the air that if I ever need a quick eulogy, I'll just play like the three <laughs> minutes of, 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 of what he said, and uh, and I'll have that all taken care It'll probably be better than anybody else that I know giving me a eulogy after thinking about it. So, but, Well, uh, I had to get good at that early on because uh, <laughs> you know, they tell me – they tell me you got to do a promo for uh, the Ultimate Warrior, and you have three minutes. So I, I would, uh, I, I would write these little intros, and uh, it's kind of stayed with me over the years. So yeah, I'm, uh, I'm available uh, Saturdays <laughs> and Sundays. You know, just get ahead of the, you know, when when you decide to go, just make it a, a weekend, and then we can make it uh, make it work, David. There you go. I just got you a new business. Uh, I'm a, I'm an idea man. Always happen. Yeah, so, always thinking. So. Uh, so we decided to flip the script and do a little cross-promotion thing. So uh, as, as you can hear, Sean is here. And I uh, want to talk about his uh, career and his journey as we spoke about my career and my journey. And so welcome to City Ringside, Sean Mooney. Yeah, it's great to be here. And uh, you'd say flipping the script. This is uh, – I love when we get to do this because, uh, you know, we uh, – you and I both spend most of our careers. You're, you're, we're asking the questions all the time. So it's it's kind of fun to be on the other side of it. Although, uh, I don't know, I've, I've always wondered, like, am I a good interview? Because <laughs> I'm just used to asking the question. What do you mean? What do you want to know about me for? But, uh, yeah, it's fun. I'm, I'm, glad you, I'm, I'm glad you invited me on. Well, it's funny you said that because as somebody who's been around the wrestling business for 25 years now, 30 years, I, I, yep. sometimes I know some of the answers that I'm going to get, especially at the beginning, you know, uh, were you a wrestling fan growing up? How'd you get involved? I got no right. clue. I got no clue. I know that you ended up for about, uh, for, for, uh, about eight, 10 years in WWF and, uh, and that you've done other broadcasting things before and after. So other than that, this is a uh, sort of enlightening for me because I don't know the answers and, uh, and, and so it should be fun. So, uh, let's get yeah. going. 
Um, yeah, I'll tell you, I have the craziest career path, so fire away. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, I guess my first question is, and um, this is the one I guess I'm most eager to know, is were you a wrestling fan growing up at all or just a sports fan? Uh, well, I mean, the, the, the short answer is no, because, uh, you know, I grew up in, in uh, Arizona down in Tucson. And we didn't get a whole lot of anything. Uh, back then, uh, Tucson was a pretty small city. And uh, once in a while, we'd get, uh, you know, an uh, uh, organization coming through. But uh, and, and I lived way on the east side. And when they did have stuff uh, going on, it was downtown, which, you know, it's nothing these days. But when I was a kid, that was the other side of the world. I mean, I remember we used to go to the airport once a year because my grandfather would come and visit. And that was, uh, you know, that was a gigantic event. And I didn't have a dad around. And my mom, you know, did the best she could. She raised five kids by herself. She was, oh, a, wow. was a school teacher. God bless. And so we just didn't, couldn't do a whole lot. And sometimes neighbors would, uh, you know, their dads would take us to things. But anyway, we, I never really got that opportunity. And uh, I was really into sports. I was this really small, skinny kid. I, I couldn't gain a pound no matter what you shoved down my throat. And uh, I wish I, I, had, I, wish I had that problem. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it is. I mean, there's a lot of kids out there I think would identify and everybody go, God, well, you were skinny. And thank God it's, it's, you know, my metabolism helped me through my life when it really did matter that I didn't want to gain weight. But when you're a kid and you weigh 80 pounds and all your friends are, you know, 125 and they're playing all these sports and you're basically a tackling dummy. But I just, I just love sports and I just wanted to be a part of it. But I always had this, uh, I guess, a kind of a performer's, um, you know, itch in me. I always wanted to be, um, you know, in front uh, of a camera. And I was kind of the class clown. And I, I, you hear that all the time from kids who are uh, kind of, you felt that they were shunned or something. And I always felt that we were kind of looked down upon because of our situation. And uh, I was, so I would uh, do things to try and get attention to me by performing. And so that's the way it was for me. And I always wanted to thought about, you know, dream to be an actor or, uh, you know, a sports announcer. I would, uh, you know, do the fake broadcasts. And, of course, we didn't have, uh, you know, uh, professional sports teams anywhere near us. Phoenix didn't have anything really at all. And, and uh, I wasn't a basketball fan. I was a, I liked baseball and I liked football. So you had to choose from our big radius of professional sports with either you went with a California team, San Diego, Los Angeles, or, uh, you know, even, um, you know, Colorado with the Broncos. And so uh, baseball, I loved the Dodgers. That was kind of my, uh, I loved as far as following a baseball team. And then I liked uh, uh, football because, uh, you know, the Broncos, that because uh, they'd had, especially when I was younger, they had some of the U of A players. So University of Arizona played for the Broncos. So that was kind of my exposure to it all. So wrestling didn't fit into all that. And, uh of course, the, the, when I really ever started hearing about it is, is those early 80s when there was the, uh, the start of the rise with the WWF. That's pretty much when I even you know got involved in it and later, of course, much more. But, of course, nobody could not hear about it once uh, Vince Jr. took over. Absolutely. You know, it's funny going back. I I, I mentioned to you on on uh, primetime with Sean Mooney that uh, I used to be like uh, I used to act like I was the host of the event center. 
And, uh, <laughs> and, and you mentioned you used to like pretend like you were, uh, uh, you know, hosting a, a, a Broncos. You didn't say Broncos game, but, you know, yeah. uh, pretend. And, and I'm, I, I always was like sort of not embarrassed, but sort of like, you know, uh, squeamish to like, you know, like yell that from the top of the mountains for people to think I'm insane. But um, yeah. the more I interview people who, who have done what we've done as far as talk on a microphone, broadcasting, um, the more I think that that's. A little bit more common than we might think it is. Yeah, no, I, I I've heard that uh, you know for years and years after uh, you know I, I was uh, always loved to read about uh, you know bi- I read bios because I always thought that was kind of uh, inspiring to think about. Okay, so how did they do what they did? And I remember uh, reading uh, Marv Alberts, uh, you know, the story about him. And he used to literally be in the stand. He'd go to these games and he'd be in the stands and had a little tape recorder and he would do the entire game. And uh, that was a great lesson to me because no matter what you wanted to do, uh, you don't have to have someone hire you to do it. You can find a way to at least develop some skills completely on your own. And uh, I, I've done that my entire life. I, I went to... Fast forward a little bit, but, you know, when my first job out of school, I had an opportunity to work on a show called The Baseball Bunch. And this is how it really it all started. And they shot it here in, in Tucson. Uh, Johnny Bench was the host of it. And, uh, you know, spring training, they, they still had spring training down here. Of course, Phoenix was the big place. And then in Florida, well, they loved Tucson because Tucson was a right to work state. It was an opportunity for them to get these ball players, even if they were in Phoenix, they could bring them down. When they got a break, or they have, or they, we shot a lot of these shows before they came out here. But uh, I got a chance to work on that show, and when they wrap, I was a production assistant. A professor told me they're shooting this thing. I talked my way onto the set and ended up getting them to hire me, just not not shutting up and <laughs> just. But anyway, that got me my foot in the door. And when they left, they called me two weeks later and said, "If you can get out to New York City, we'll give you a job as a viewer, a logger. You would sit there and you know." director's chair in front of these three quarter inch tape machines and a monitor and you'd watch baseball games all day long and you would you would literally log the game if somebody came to bat it was you know uh, reggie a b at bat reggie singles one b to left and that's how they would be able to find all these shots for this week in baseball and the other shows that we did and it was just a tremendous opportunity that was right that was my first job out of school and uh I worked my way up uh, as an uh, associate uh, producer and, you know, we started as a production assistant and then I got a chance because it was a really small operation and we were all kids. There was not one single person working there. And these are people that were producing This Week in Baseball, which if you are from that era, you know that that's where people got their baseball news. It wasn't, yep. <laughs> didn't have an ESPN. Nope. And that's how you would find out what happened in baseball that week with Mel Allen. And so it was just a great, great place to work because there was so much opportunity there. You wouldn't think about it. But here we were in New York City. We were kids basically out of college and got a tremendous amount of opportunity. We uh, were literally editing. We were mixed, you know, getting adding music to it. We were writing. We were uh, uh, producing. And uh, that's where my real background was initially was in production. I was a producer for Major League Baseball productions for six years. And, and uh, on top of that, as I mentioned, the Dodgers, we, at the end of the season, we produced uh, MLBP, uh, as it was called, we would produce a highlight film for every single baseball team, every MLB team. 
And so that you could imagine it was a tremendous amount of work. These were anywhere from 30 to 45 minute little films that they would do, but it was their promotional tool. And they would literally pass these out to us that, and depending on your level or, or skill or, or seniority, uh, you would get a certain team. And, uh, you know, there were some people that had been there for years or older who got the great teams. They would you know, do the Yankees and we would, and so there was a, a guy named Peter Hanley who was a great, great producer. And uh, he kind of took me under his wing and I helped him on one of the first Dodger films he did. And then they pulled him off the next year. They, the, and I did four of the Dodger highlight films and I ended up doing their 25 year history film. Wow. Uh, as a producer. And it, well, yeah, can you imagine what that was like? And this is during the era when, you know, it was Steve Garvey and Ron Say. And Rick Monday was still there, and Fernando uh, Fernando Valenzuela was there, the Phenom, and and Tommy Lasorda, and we're these kids, and we could do and what how we could tell the story however we wanted to tell it, and um, yeah, I, I, that's another book. Uh, people talk to me about how you know, oh, it was awesome the the, the life you got to live working with, during those years with the WWF, but there was a whole other part of my life before that where I was working for Major League Baseball Productions. And doing all that that I just described, then I also helped develop a television show called Greats of the Game with Tim McCarver. Tim McCarver was the host. It got to know him really well. We spent you know two years together, me and another producer, Joe Levine, who is just a phenomenal producer. He's the, he's the guy that produced all of the HBO documentary sports films. He's the guy. He produced wow. Cosell. He did you know Joe Lewis, uh, all of them. And the list just goes on and on. And we were producing partners. So that part of my life was just just incredible because we traveled around the country and we interviewed these Hall of Famers all, you know, just we would go and go to their house and we didn't know what the hell we were doing. We didn't set up. We didn't even have a crew. We were the guy. We were the cameramen and did, you know, and we would shoot these interviews. And along the way, uh, you know, went to Mickey Mantle's house for a couple of days wow. with, with Tim and, and hung out with him and the family and uh, went to Florida one, for one trip uh, during spring training and, and hung out with Ted Williams, who to me was the John Wayne sure. of, uh, of, of the world. I mean, really, he's the living, he was the living John Wayne. So that is a completely different part of my life. And I, as I mentioned, I wanted to be a performer. And so this was, you know, that was always in the back of my mind. And as I said, it was a company that as you would think, it's Major League Baseball Productions. We are part of MLB. We are an arm of the, and here we have these kids that were all, uh, you know, 22 to, there's maybe a couple that were early 30s doing this. And they didn't even realize what they had. I, I don't know, it was just this magical moment in time where they got a collection of, of, of people who were just incredibly talented. And I can name a list of these people that and what they went on to do. But it was just, uh, and just fate, just how, I don't know how I got, you know, this kid from Tucson got that opportunity. But that's how it really all started. Perseverance, perseverance. Yeah, yeah. There you go. It all comes back go. to David, the same knows subject. That you. <laughs> hey, I got a question. Um, all, all that time that you spent logging in, all of the, and, and that has to, as big of a baseball fan as, as you were, that has to at some point get to be, uh, you know, a little dreary. But uh, that time that you were logging in, all the different stuff, did it ever once pop in your head? If only somebody could invent like a search engine where you could like put in, uh, Reggie Jackson, you know, hits his, uh, you know, hits for this date and 
You know, because now we have YouTube and that you know, nobody oh, yeah. logs in anymore. I remember, no. I remember, you know, in WCW, there was a guy who who did the same thing. He logged everything. He logged every move and every finish and every every interview. And he probably looks back and saying, what did I waste my time for? Yeah, well, somebody had to do it. And I'm sure <laughs> that the, but these were the logging sheets. I mean, they sure. were the legal size and you had uh, your clipboard. And, um, yeah, uh, and, uh, you, you think about it at the time people today going like, what you actually, are you kidding? But that's what you did. We actually had a pen folks and we wrote, uh, yeah. <laughs> stuff was done. We didn't have a keyboard, but, um, yeah, that was the, in its infancy. And, uh, I, I, I thought, well, you know, one day they will have this in a computer, but I didn't think about, and then they could cross reference where you just punch in the name Reggie Jackson and then all this would come up. I just thought at least it'll be there and you can find it. Right. <laughs> but yeah, that was uh, the old days. And correct and, and, correct wow. me if I'm wrong, though, but for those who may not uh, have been around back then or, or understand um, the reason why you did that is that when you did the end of the year shows and you wanted to find these particular uh, highlights, you had to have somebody to go back and look at all the login sheets and pick out yep. the the ones that that you wanted to feature. So somebody had yeah. to do the, the 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 research and the and the dirty work and then you know somebody would come in and and put that all together into one big special. So it's just a totally different world. It's just Oh it's, man, just incredible. It's, it's fun. And you, know, you think we, about it now you, that yeah, you would have to literally go to you know we have these reams, the three ring binders, the giant binders and you have to go and, and find that you know it was all done by date and game. But not only that, then think about all of this stuff was on tape. So they had hallways and hallways and, you know, the tape would be in a plastic case with a number on it. And you would have to go find, you know, tape 283Z or whatever the hell it was. And then you'd pull it and then you'd go to uh, a machine and then you'd have to dub off that piece of video that that person might need. Or while you were editing and you would have a box of tapes and have to put that in the edit machine. And, and people listening now get thinking, well, all I have to do now is just point and click. That's all. Yeah. What the hell? No, I, I know exactly what you're ta- what you're talking about because oh, it was it God. was that way when I when WCW first started. Uh, we never got to this part uh, in the in the the podcast, but I actually was a production assistant when I first started uh, full time, and uh, I wanted to just do as many things as I could do to to you know because ring announcers are a dime a dozen. So I wanted to ingratiate myself any way I can, and so I was a production assistant. So I would go down there and do a lot of the same kind of stuff. You had to pull the tapes and, and, and look at the logs and find the stuff and put it in, you know, and they would, you know, have a, uh, an edit session and, and people think we're crazy right now, but that's, that's okay. It, it was, yeah, it, no, it, that, and it was, you know, and really it wasn't that long ago. And you think no, about how far we've gone, we've come and, and not, and, and even recently, you know, I work in news now and, you know, uh, within the last five years, they finally have this mass tech system where you can actually go in and and bring up the video of a story. Say I did three years ago and it'll come up, you know, digitally and I can just download it. But that with within the last five years, I mean, you still used to have to go and within this period of time I and mean, go find that damn tape and then go put it in and in the machine and, you know, uh, sc- scroll through it and find the uh the time code and and that's how you did it so it hasn't been that long that we've reached this point and who knows what it's going to be maybe all you have to do is think about it in the future who knows and then it comes up (laughs) so 
As we wax nostalgically about the uh, good old yes. days, like a couple yeah. of old guys, God bless yeah. us. Um, how, how did you get from, I didn't know all that stuff about producing, but that's impressive stuff. Uh, like you said. I got another uh, great one for you. Another ahead, uh, total wacko fact that, you, that people are going to say, what the F? What are you talking? I uh, produced the uh, the uh, MTV video, MTV video um, uh, center field for, for John Fogarty's. Wow. Uh, yeah. I mean that I was the editor. I was the editor. I wasn't the producer. I was the editor for that, that people are like, what? And it was they his, this is when MTV was, was in its heyday. Everybody remember in that great song by John Fogarty center field. And so they wanted to do something completely different. And they knew that we had this archive of black and white video, uh, you know, film going back, decades early baseball or you know the turn of the century sure. and before and they wanted to do something different so they brought me in and, and I was doing you know producing things but they uh, just assigned me to them and to help them find shots and so as we started laying this stuff out and I had ideas I was just shooting at them and the guy said well put something together and we'll see where we go from there and so I cut this thing to the music and they liked it <laughs> they, you know, they changed a few shots, but that was it. So anyway, put that, me, that, put uh, me that's in another one way off the track. Put, but you can find yeah. it if you ever find the credits on that thing. That's It'll awesome. say Editor Sean Mooney. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. Mm -hmm. Great mm -hmm. stuff, man. That's a great story. Um, so my question is, how did you get from behind the camera to in front of the camera? And when did that happen? Well, as I mentioned, it was this a company where you had all these chance, uh, opportunities to do these things. If we would have worked, you know, we worked with NBC and if I had worked at NBC, I would have never been able to, you couldn't touch an editing. You couldn't touch a machine. You couldn't cue a tape because of the unions. And it was a non-union shop. So we could do everything. And, and uh, so this is when cable was just in its infancy, you know, when all the networks were saying, yeah, <laughs> it won't last. What is this thing? Cable? Uh, who owns the networks now? But, um, we so all of these opportunities were coming up because they had these these channels out there, and uh, I think one of the big first sports networks was HTS uh, uh, Home Team Sports was one of the first real sports networks. ESPN was just beginning, um, so they were producing some cable shows, Race for the Pennant, uh, that would appear on some of these, and you know, so it was just more opportunities. So they had all this stuff coming in that people wanted them to do, and somebody had a great idea. Uh, um, to do this show where you would, it was basically like race for the pennant, but they would, uh, because of all these local stations across the country, they would produce segments that would be say, you know, eight minutes long and they would produce four of them or something like that. And then your local sports guy, we would send them the on cameras and all he'd have to do is stand up in front of a camera, do the stand up and then edit him into the show and he would VO the tracks, would send him the track and that's all they had to do is put a track, the guy would do the stand-ups and it looked like they produced this really slick, awesome show. Sure. So it was a great idea, but there were some markets that didn't have a sports guy to do it. And I was putting these shows together. I was putting the segments together. So they had some of these stations that wanted the show, but they didn't have talent. So uh, looking at opportunity, uh, perseverance, whoever, I raised my hand and said, hey, let me produce, let me do those segments. I'll be their guy. And, uh, you know, they'll pay. And if you want to pay me something, that'd be awesome, but I'll do it. I, I, it'll be great. And that way we've got a show that is completely produced and these smaller markets 
Yakima or whatever, whoever wanted one could have this really slick baseball show and I, I will customize it for them. And like, that's a good idea. Okay, go ahead. It's an awesome idea. Yeah. So that's what I did. And I, and I actually, they got, they, to their credit, they, because they got the, the deal, they cut me in on it. So they, I was making, I don't know, an extra 50 bucks a week for each one of these shows, which I was not, they didn't pay us a lot of money. They, they knew we were young, stupid, wanted to be in the business, which has <laughs> never changed. <clears throat> so it was a boon for me. I mean, I was like, whoa. And I was, I got in front of the camera, which I always wanted to do. And that's where it all began. And then I started hosting other things for them. I host a show called Light Moments in Sports, which was hosted by Joe Namath. And, and uh, they wanted to do some of their own custom pieces. It was one of the first blooper shows ever, David. It was, nobody had really done the, this before. And we wanted to branch out. And we had always done MLB bloopers. Remember, they would show them in the ballpark. Uh, right, right, right. Screen. They, they still, had, they still know, do. Bloopers for the week with crazy music and the mascots and all that. And uh, so somebody had an idea that we would uh, do this show, but we would do bloopers from all sports. We would collect whatever we could, crazy video. And nobody was really doing it at the time. And I think George Michael's Sports Machine did some of that stuff. But we put put it together in a show, and they got Joe Namath to, to be the host of I it. remember that. Really? Yeah, it was it was on. We did a couple of seasons and um, that, it, it, that was another thing. Hanging out with Joe was just I'm the greatest bachelor on the face of the earth. Cocktails with Joe. And uh, so I was one of the producers on the show and they wanted to do segments that would customize the show a little bit so that would, we would actually have a one of a, a produced piece. It wasn't just just going to be bloopers. And of course, Joe could do it. He with his knees and he was not about to that was, it wasn't part of the deal and so again I raised my hand so well, let me do it just let me, let me shoot him if you guys like him we'll use him if not so I did all these crazy pieces I, I went to a, a, one of, a paintball camp where they got to shoot me a thousand times I, I came back it looked like I'd been attacked by bees um, I went to these they called them the camel games out in Nevada in Reno I think it was and <clears throat> where I rode camels and ostriches and they, they loved these segments. We actually went, went to a stuntman school, did a bar fight thing, and then we came up with an idea of doing a wrestling school segment ah, where I would go. It's all starting to come to, together now. Yeah, see, now it's a long way. I take a long time to get to these stories, but I get there, David. This is damn great. Sure. Great stuff. And, uh, <laughs> so we, we, uh, they, somebody had an idea. Let's go to wrestling school. We'll let Mooney uh, get the bejesus beaten out of him, and, um, and, and we'll do a segment on wrestling. So they contacted uh, Larry Sharp, who had the Monster Factory at the time in New Jersey. And we set up a story and went and did this story. And it was uh, a blast. Uh, they, they, Larry was great to me because, you know, we all know the business. I didn't know the business then. I didn't know how it was or gave fame and all that. But I was, I was smart enough to respect what these guys did. I understood that they were athletes. I understood that... Uh, what they were doing, they took very seriously. So I was the foil. And um, so he really, really put me over in it. It was just, it was great. And so the piece, it was a really good piece. And there's another story to this after, I'll tell you. But uh, I don't know how it all came down, but I had a friend, and because, you know, Stanford's not far from New York City, who had worked with us at MLB and had gone to work for uh, Titan, Titan Sports at the time. Right. WWE it is now, but uh, up there in their uh, distribution department, 
And uh, he called me and said, Vince McMahon wants to meet you. And I said, what? And he said, yeah, Vince wants to meet you. Somebody brought this to him or he saw it, I don't know, of you at this wrestling school. And he wants to know if you have an agent or somebody they can contact. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, his name's Mooney. And so he said, well, Call get my- a tape together or something and send it up here and put a resume together. And I had been sending stuff out. I was trying to get jobs, um, you know, at TV stations and that kind of thing because I, I really wanted to be a talent. And I sent this up there. And about two weeks later, I get a call and they uh, – the guy wanted me to come up for an interview. And that's the old story of, you know, sell me a broom audition. And I went up there. And I think because I didn't really know about the world and I, it was kind of a, this fluke thing. And I thought, if anything, it'll be fun. It'll be cool to go up there and maybe I'll get a chance to meet Vince and, you know, and uh, some of these other people, Bobby or somebody, you know, I don't know. And so I went up there, but I was really prepared. That's one thing. Another uh, point, I hope anybody out there wants to get into whatever you're doing, but just be prepared. Do your homework. If you don't know about it, you can find it, especially today. My God. Yeah. You know, eight seconds, you can be educated. Yeah. You can be an expert. No excuse. But back then, no, it didn't happen that way. And I, uh, first of all, just, I called the guy and I said, can you uh, get me some information about the superstars? More stuff. And he sent me uh, every picture of these guys that they were on the roster at the time. And uh, and they had some bio stuff. And I just consumed everything. I went to the library you know, just to learn about. So I went up there and I was prepared and did everything that they asked me to do. But, you know, the, as Bruce tells it, the sell me the broom, uh, you know, bit that they have you. You know, hey, sell me this broom. Sure. And uh, I guess I did OK with that. But I thought I, I knew that there would other people would be up for this. So I came up with this extra little bit and I don't, I, to this day, I can't even remember what I did, but it was something like, it's time to come out of the closet. If you're a wrestling fan and, and the reference there was, was different, please. I was just saying, you know, admit how much you love wrestling, sure. come out and tell people it's time. You know, I can't even remember what I did, but I think because it was different that it stood out. And two weeks later, uh, God, I wish I could remember the gentleman's name who was there. Um, their HR guy, but he called me up and said, we'd like to offer you the job. Uh, I'm like, what? I, I didn't hear, hear, hadn't heard anything for a couple of weeks. And then it wasn't even come back and come back and come. It was two weeks later. We'll, we want to offer you the job. And I, I well, what, the, what, how could I say no? I mean, yes. And, uh, and that's what happened. So now we know how you got there, which was a big part of the the, the story, and I, I yeah. appreciate you taking us through that. But before we get there, I'm just curious. Uh, I, I I've got to go back to this. Did you ever have cocktails with Joe Namath? Yeah, more than once. Yeah, I, and and out and even better. This is, was <laughs> kidding. I mean, first of all, we would they we would shoot these. There was a few of the shows that we did out at Hofstra. University, because I don't know why. I think we did some where we had what needed, um, uh, you know, like an athletic background. I think we did one, you know, on the football field and locker room. They had locker rooms out there. And we had some connection to Hofstra. And it happened to be right near Jets camp. So we would go out there and shoot at Hofstra. And during breaks, and I am not, I'm not making this up, we would go out in the football field and Joe would throw us footballs. 
wow. where I, I would do, I would say, give me a route, you know, and, uh, and he would, we, he would throw footballs to us. And also these rides, it was out on Long Island. So uh, we would drive out from Manhattan where we, you know, I lived in Manhattan. So we would, uh, they would rent cars or wherever, and we would drive out to Hofstra. So I would be in the car with him for a couple hours, just asking him questions. Sure. And everything from not, not just, uh, you know, of course, in the field or wherever being with the, in the NFL, but about being the coolest human being on the planet for a period of his life. And actually, and, and <laughs> you know, I was in my early 20s. So I'm asking him about girls. I mean, how do I just give me a little little shine here, Joe and getting <laughs> tips from Joe Namath about dating. I mean, really? And so, yeah, uh, yeah, we had it was just unbelievable, and and, and Tim that, McCarver too. Is I'd buy guy that, that we book. Just, I'd buy that book. Yeah. If you ever write that book, let me know. I'd buy that book. Dating <laughs> tips. Not that I need dating tips. Uh, long yeah. time happily married, but I just uh, I'd love to hear the stories, and you know, and that it's it's funny, uh, Sean, that. Uh, you know, we used to have long, you know, rides with 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 people. You know, I got mm-hmm. to drive with Bobby Heenan and Gene Okerlund mm-hmm. and Tony Schiavone, and 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 that's really how you you know you learn so much. You know, now I know some of the guys have have tour buses and their own driver, and 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 I get it. It makes it a lot more comfortable, but you yeah. just lose, I think, some of that camaraderie. And hey, uh, did you ever get any video of Joe Namath throwing you passes? Oh no, we didn't. Have, that was the thing. We didn't have our cell phones back then, and, and I kick myself now, yeah. thinking, God, I could have at least taken an effing picture, Moody. But um, you know, the, the, the funny part about it is, David, is that you know, here I am. I'm asking Joe Namath for dating tips. Like, how do you, how do you come on to a girl? How do you say? And and Joe was, well, you just, you know, say what you think, brother. Just go, you know. And, and I, I kind of forgot the fact that. You, you, Joe Namath didn't have to do a <laughs> exactly. thing, right? He and just I'm thinking, walked into so a room. Why aren't they? Why doesn't that work? I just said, don't you want to be, you know? Because <laughs> you're not, you're not effing Joe Namath, you yeah. idiot. <laughs> and Joe didn't get it. Just Joe, happened. No. Yeah, Joe, Joe's dating advice is walk into a room. And exactly. uh, full of women. And, yeah. Yeah. Just breathe. Just breathe. Joe. <laughs> I just I asked you about the video because it would have been cool to go back to your uh, when you're uh, the high school reunion, the 10 year high school reunion when you're yeah. the 80 pound tackling dummy and go. Right. How, do you, how do you like me now, boys? Yeah. Yeah. So what have you been doing, Sean? Uh, play the tape. <laughs> exactly. That's that's I love that song. How do you like me now by Toby Keith? I don't know if you're a country music fan, but I love that song because, uh, you know, so many people, you know, doubt you. And when you're, you know, especially middle school and high school could be cruel. Oh, God. And uh, yeah. I just like the whole premise behind that, because that's that's a perfect thing. You put in the video and say, how do you like me now, boys? I'm playing catch with well, Joe Namath. Yeah. And, you know, in all seriousness, too, that was a driving force early in my life. That's one of the reasons I went to to. Uh, uh, university. And that's one of the reasons that I, you know, took the leap and went to New York. I mean, that was always my drive. That I will show them. And I mean, admittedly, if I if I'm honest today, that was a big thing that I will show them. I'm not this kid who did, you know, had nothing. And, and, uh, you know, as I got older, I realized that I didn't need that, uh, you know, to, to do that. But honestly, that was a driving force in me that you mentioned it. 
So you got you went into W, you got the job, and mm-hmm. you knew nothing really about pro wrestling because, as you said, you weren't a fan growing up, other than the, yeah. the information that they fed you. So, and then you have to start calling matches. How? Tell me about that. Did somebody take you under their wing? Did you get like a? Did they put you in a room and show you? Uh, you know, make you watch for twelve hours a day and other you know guys calling matches and moves and how did that work back then? Yeah, that would have been nice, huh? If, if that actually <laughs> or did happened. they throw you to the fire? <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't uh, so much thrown to the fire. Um, if you remember back at that time, and of course the master, uh, Gene Okerlund. Yes, sir. Uh, as I, I, I would say every time I, I mention his name, I always say there's Gene Okerlund and then there was the rest of us. And that is how I will go to my grave because uh, Gene was just one of a kind and just unbelievable. Nobody, nobody else. Back, nobody, huh? not, to, not to interrupt you, but nobody else was, no. was close. Uh, like no, you said, that's why I said, that's why I said there was Gene and the rest yeah, of us. I, I mean, miss him. I miss him so much. You know, we've lost a yeah. lot of our friends and colleagues, yeah. but when I heard about that one, I, uh, uh, I, you know, I, I, I was cutting some onions, so to speak. Uh, you know, I, yeah. uh, it's, that was, that was horrible. God bless him. But, um, uh, yeah, so, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I just said, whenever somebody talks about Gene Oakland, it brings up a lot of really strong feelings because he was so great to me and my family. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he was he was to me, too. I mean, I was this kid. He could have been completely different than that. He could have been threatened by God or think, who's this young kid they're bringing in? Or he's a jabroni. He doesn't know a damn thing. He there's. And from the second uh, he met, we met, he was just phenomenal to me. I was welcomed with open arms and, and, and maybe in some ways selfishly because as I was going to say back then they were doing these interviews on the road where they would have to and if you imagine the concept of the event center uh, folks that uh, that was that was a segment that would appear in Superstars and Challenge three times a show besides all the other shows prime time and everything else we were doing spotlight and so we would do these segments. So imagine the amount of content they needed to fill those. Because basically Superstars Challenge were promotional shows. They were on the air to get people to go to house shows. That's right. what it was all about then. That's how they made their money. That's how the boys got paid. So Gene would do all of these. And Craig Minervini, who, uh, Craig DeGeorge, would go out to these. Uh, they'd either do it. They'd do a TV tapings, but they'd also go to house shows uh, to get to get it done. Really? Where they they would get the guys, and they would have to do these every one of the interviews they did because the segment holes were two and a half minutes long, and they would have to do a two and a half minute promo with who uh, whether it was one superstar or a tag team, and they would do you know coming this Monday night at the Horizon Center. I've got, uh, you know, Don Morocco, who's going to be facing, uh, you know, whoever. And they would do these over and over and over. And next week and two weeks from tonight, uh, you know, whatever. Right. So you could imagine the volume. And they would do these all day long. Gene would do these all day, besides everything else he did. So they wanted to do something that was going to lift the burden, not only off Gene, but also the boys. Because if they could just generalize these markets and stick to storylines that they would have to do a quarter of the interviews that they had to do. Sure. So the idea of the event center really was brilliant and they needed somebody who could do it. And that was the opening for me. I had no idea what they're going to have me do, but for Gene, that meant that that was going away. He wasn't going to have to do that stuff anymore. So it was going to 
uh, lighten his load at least a little. And so, of course, he wanted me to succeed. And uh, Craig was on his way out. He was leaving. So uh, it kind of it was on me to do it. And I had never had to do that type of, you know, intense uh, sitting there for six to seven, eight hours a day where you would just do these cards over and over and over and to do the bridges. And then and the TV tapings now, all they would have to do is the guy would just stick to storylines. And then we'd punch those and I'd do an intro, a uh, 15, 20 second intro, go to the interview, bridge, go to his opponent. And then me and don't miss it this Friday night at Madison Square Garden. And so... Uh, that's how I wasn't, they didn't have me calling matches. I was not, that was not my role. My role was the event center was my main thing <clears throat> to do that. And that took up four days a week. We were doing 90 markets at the time. And these guys were doing, you know, shows. We had an A, B and C team sometime out there in the, in the country. And so that's where I started. And of all things, the people that was the, the person that was running the event center was Howard Finkel. Howard Finkel, you know, of course, is the ring announcer, is a ring announcer sure. besides all the other hats he's wearing. And he's the guy who's supposed to show me how to do this because uh, Gene's not there. Gene's on the road or, or down in Florida. And he would go to these. He was still, you know, never lived in Stanford. And Alfred was there. But uh, Howard was my trainer, I guess you'd call him. And if you look at those early event center, event centers, I am screaming I am at the top of my lungs. This Friday night at Madison Square Garden, Hulk Hogan takes on. And I just finally I just said to Howard, Howard, first of all, I can't do this. I can't I can't do this many markets at that intensity. I will not have a voice. I will get to <laughs> 30 markets and you've lost me for the week. Yeah. I remember those first few months. I my my throat was killing me. And uh, I just said, and I just don't think it's me. You know, maybe, can I try it a different way? And, you know, of course, Howard, well, if you think you can do it better, do it. Sure. Do it. And so uh, I did it my way. And uh, they saw it and said, yeah, fine. Keep doing it. Like it was nothing. It was like all that torture. <laughs> what is that? The first week I would have been able to. But if you could, there's, and I know people have sent them to me be, before that. If you, you see those early things, you're, th you're going, oh, my God, who's he yelling at? And how did he stay on TV? Because they were awful. Awful. Just so that was my training. But that was my job. I, I wasn't I wasn't calling matches. That came later when we started. Uh, doing international and they needed, uh, you know, Alfred and I were st uh, living in Stanford and we recorded all of those because, you know, they do the dark matches. They wouldn't have them called. You know, they didn't have to do it at the event. They would have us do them in Stanford. And we were there and, and we would do hundreds of matches that would uh, be seen in other countries that no one would ever hear in the United States. So that's, that was it. Just, just for people who didn't live in that era, era, um, I just want to explain the difference of the of what Mean Gene was doing uh, with the live event uh, market uh, uh, interviews and what you were doing. 
And mm-hmm. so, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I'm, I'm right on. What Gene and the, and the talent was doing was they were talking directly to the people of uh, the city. So like you said, Don Morocco was fighting Ricky Steamboat. So uh, Gene would say, two weeks from tonight, Don Morocco at Madison Square Garden, you're going to face off with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Morocco would cut a promo. Next one would be uh, one week from tonight, Don Morocco, you're going to be meeting Ricky the Dragon. And, and, and I remember when Gene was doing him in WCW, if he had like a favorite restaurant or a friend, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd throw that kind of stuff in just to make it, even if he didn't, he'd throw fake stuff in just to make it seem like, you know, like he knew the town. And and what you went ahead and did, because that was so time consuming, is you did the wraparounds that Gene was doing, which allowed you to customize the event, quote unquote, event center. So this is the event center from uh, New York City, Madison Square Garden. I'm Sean Mooney. And you would describe the matches and the talent would only have to cut one promo. They wouldn't have to cut a promo talking about New York City, a promo talking about Philadelphia, on and on and on. They would cut one promo and you in your description would customize it to that particular town so that the talent didn't wasn't bogged down talking to specific towns over and over again. Is that a pretty good? Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, I hope uh, maybe I didn't uh, explain the the processes as uh, well as you just it, but that's exactly why why it was so much more efficient because yeah. that way you wouldn't have to stand there and do these two and a half minute promos and have the guys you know because gene would have to do every single one would have to customize it. every yeah. time they did an interview this way they didn't have to do it that way the the superstars would just stick to the the storyline you know you wait to you know dino bravo wait till i see you this week whatever and or it wouldn't wouldn't even have to customize it that much wouldn't have to say this week just say wait till i get you in the ring basically and then i would do all that what happens this Monday, you know, that. And it was just, it was a great idea. I mean, brilliant. I was going to say, my, I was about to say, it's actually quite brilliant because as somebody who, who produced and lived in that, we talked about on your podcast, The Gray Box, uh, where we did the market-specific interviews for WCW, um, yeah, that was that that was it put the onus on one person who was uh, dedicated. Uh, their job was to customize the promos as opposed to every single wrestler who was who had to talk about going to every single city. And it may not seem like a lot now, but it was time consuming. As you said, I didn't even realize that they went to the house shows to do them. That's crazy. Yeah, and I don't I don't know if that was uh, you know common, but they just had so much yep. to do that they couldn't get it all done. And I know that Gene was just traveling, you know, crazy. Uh-huh. Uh, so it helped alleviate all of that stuff because they would just get a crew and they would do these things all day long. And I don't know how he did it. Uh, being, it was hard enough for me, but I could. You know, uh, I was in Stanford. I went home at night. I I got to go to lunch. You know, and and. Uh, these that schedule that they kept back then and and uh, of course you know everybody knows the story of what the boys endured which is just to this day people do not understand what that life was like for them because they don't do the kind of house shows they did back then these guys were doing six seven eight uh shows a week yep. uh, doubles on the weekends and then being uh you know uh uh, I know we had, I had Warlord on it and uh, him describing one of his weeks. I just said, tell me what one of the weeks was like. And I've heard it many times before, but just, you know, here at uh, Madison Square Garden, flew to Denver, Denver to Phoenix, Phoenix to Tucson, Tucson, you know, and then back on a plane in Florida. And then, I mean, and this is, they'd be gone sometimes stretches for 
you know, six weeks at a time sometimes because it just, they couldn't, they'd be out for that long and they'd come home for five days or something. It was, uh, yeah. So that's a whole other story, but there really isn't any, wasn't back then in the beginning, any rhyme or reason. It wasn't like now you start out in, uh, you know, you start out in Charlotte and then you go to Winston Salem and then you drive to, uh, to, you know, so it's a, it's all within like a 200, 300 mile drive for each one. But back then they were hopping on a plane, maybe a little bit before that they were going from, like you said, New York to, to Houston and Houston to Vancouver and Vancouver to Miami and Miami. There was just, it was no like loops. It was just every, it was a major trip every, every day. Yeah. And I, and I think that they, they tried to make it better. They tried to make it yeah. as efficient as possible, but these guys, and, and, and keep in mind folks, they were, they would, uh, they'd get a stack of tickets. That was the one thing that, uh, that, that, uh, WWE did, but as far as them getting hotels and, and cars, they, that was up to them and how they got from one place to the next was on them and they paid for it. And that's, that was just, uh, and their their income was depending on what the house gates were. They weren't getting set amounts of money guaranteed or anything like that. So uh, the big card guys were making money, but you got to think down the down the card. It wasn't uh, it wasn't tremendous. It was probably it was a lot better than any other place you could go. But uh, it was a rough, tough life to get through. Uh, and uh, you know they had to love it. You had to want it to do it. Absolutely. Um, God, I can only imagine how excited the talent was. Forget me and Gene, he had to be elated. But how, how excited the talent was when somebody explained to them, you mean I only have to cut one promo and that's going to cover 90 cities? I mean, that, that had in, instead of 90 promos, that had to be uh, yeah. that had to be like a huge weight off their back. So uh, who, who, yeah. do you know? Do you remember who came up with that event center concept? I, I don't know. I mean, Bruce talks about it, uh, that uh, he was in on that concept. And, um, you know, I, I don't really know who it was. It was in place. They had just but they hadn't really started. They hadn't found a way to do it. Gene had they were just working out uh, how to do it. And it was an amazing operation the way they did that, because uh, back then it was uh, the same kind of thing. They had a big tape room. They didn't have it wasn't all digital. And right. so we had a uh, an editor that was devoted to what we were doing. And they would, um, you know, literally send these tapes out to TV stations, and they would be contained. Each one would be customized for that city, and uh, they would put that, you know, and in it would contain. He would uh, edit my segments into. They'd leave a hole. The guys that you know, Kevin Dunn was a producer at the time. He produced those shows, and they would leave a hole, and then this guy would plug in the whatever the customized market was, and it was just something they had to stay on top of because. And I don't remember, I'm sure it happened, but I don't remember it happening very often ever that the wrong market, uh, the wrong event center got into the wrong market. I don't remember. So they really did a tremendous job. You have to uh, even imagine how the, the, the enormity of that, of, of keeping that stuff all straight and making sure it got to the right place. And it was the right promo that said two weeks from tonight right, exactly. or two weeks from, exactly. from this Saturday. Uh, so... It was amazing. I know it's a, it's a small concept of whatever was going on then. People don't realize, that, uh, you know, well, I was interested in the wrestling, but there was this, the, the, the stuff that they were doing really was ahead of its time. And um, just, just amazing that uh, that's how they did it. 
logistically, like you said, they had to have somebody who was a thousand percent on the ball at all times because it's in in that in 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 the the process of doing so many of those promos for so many different uh, cities and so many different weeks. It's like you said, it's very easy to get put in the wrong event center or the even the wrong you know you toss to Ultimate Warrior and 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 it's hacksaw Jim Duggan. So God yeah, bless no, him. yeah, exactly. And another thing that was great about it too is. Uh, and and Gene, this was Gene, Gene Okerlund. I mean, Gene always, from his advertising background and his marketing background, knew that you reach out to people and try and do it in some kind of a personal way. And, you know, so Gene would be doing something to the fact that, to the effect that you know, coming up this week at Madison Square Garden, I know you guys over at Mel's Pub, two sure. two blocks down the street, are going to be there. And it would just bring it home. And I picked up on that. Uh, and he, you know, him telling me, and I would keep a notebook. Uh, we didn't have uh, our little laptops back then. And I would keep a notebook for whatever the city was. And I would have notes of different places. And I would pepper them in. Or, or if uh, I had friends or if somebody would tell me, say hi to this guy. And uh, it, it would really bring it home. And that was that, the impact of that was tremendous. Because when I would go to arenas in these cities... People, I just remember it was it was as though they knew me, and sure. I, I couldn't figure it out at first. I'm like, why? How would they? And, and uh, because you're I talking. was talking about their city, like I was one of them. You're talking and, to them, and yeah. I'll tell you, yeah. And the time where it really, really hit home is when I went to uh, England. Alfred and I went to England, and we were for one of the uh, pay per views. And I remember at the hotel, and of course, <clears throat> when I was working. People knew who I was here in the States, especially if I was around an event. But we were staying at a hotel there. And I just remember, because we're always used to being at the hotels, there'd be lots of people. It was crazy over there because, it, you know, Sky Television had not been there that long. We were pretty new to people actually and, and doing shows over there. But I just remember there was just a thousand people in the lobby. And I walked in there. And for most places, you know, people would know who I was. They would say, hey, Moon, hey, Mooney, or, you know, it's kind of, this, it was mob, mob scene. And just, and I was the lad. They called You're me Joe the You're Joe Namath. You're Joe Namath. Well, you, but I'm telling <laughs> you, I was just like, what the hell? And then I realized I was the first person from the WWF who brought it home. I was saying, you know, at this arena. And I did the same thing. I got uh, some places and uh, through what they, remember the, the book of, um, for like the travel guides and I would go to the bookstores and I buy the travel guides and find out where, you know, places were close to the arena, a pub or a restaurant or something, something to localize. And then I would, I would pepper that in there. And that's what it was because I was saying things and in, in places and in places that they knew about. And I was like one of them. Yeah. And so it was, you know, I thank Gene Okerlund for that because it was just uh, – it was magical how, how well that worked. It really was just amazing. It's cool that you went to the – and bought books to study because uh, God bless Gene. Sometimes Gene would just make it up. He'd go – Well, wait. he could do that. Yeah, yeah Gene I, was – Can't wait master. to go to Cincinnati to see my longtime post-personal friend Irvin yeah. Birnbaum this yeah. weekend. Irvin, me and you are going to have a blast. And I, I remember one time I said – after it was done, I said, Gene, I said – 
Who's there's, Irving Birnbaum? And he goes, I don't. That's if I know. I don't fucking know. Excuse, yeah. excuse my friends. Yeah. And and you know, he's just he's just. Oh yeah, God! I, I used to love that bit that Gene would do, and somebody say, Hey, do you know you know Bob Johnson? You mean Bob Johnson, who works at this, and his wife is named Mary, and uh, never fucking heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know that bit that he does. And yeah. That, the thing about Gene, Gene had a Rolodex, all right? I mean, you've been around him. Yeah. And Gene had a Rolodex of bits that he probably done did, a, you know, 10,000 times in his life. And I'll tell you, it did not matter. It was like the first time I heard it. He made me laugh. Every I knew the bits. It was like a favorite comedian who, you know, you had a bit that he loved. Yeah. It's like uh, Jim Gaffigan doing Hot Pockets. You know, it was – that was Gene to me. And, I, I mean, he just – it didn't matter. Bobby was was the same way. But Gene was just so clad. His delivery, his timing was just phenomenal. A look would drop me. You know, yeah. I, I would watch interviews. I was as big a fan as anybody else. When he would do that and somebody would say something, and he'd just give him the eyes or <laughs> look at the camera or the back. And, uh, you, you know, it's just a thousand words in one look. So, uh, God, I, uh, talking about him just brings back so many memories. But... My God, he, just the, the, the way he, uh, such an entertainer and, and his voice, uh, nobody ever like him, never again. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. So, yeah. Sean, I, I, as you know, I, I reached out on uh, Twitter to see if uh, any of the fans had any questions for you. And I got a bunch of questions. And I, I don't remember this, if I'm being totally honest. But mm -hmm. uh, that was back in my college days, I think. So, you know, I was uh, maybe not watching wrestling as much. Or if I was, I probably wasn't in the right mind. But, uh, but, but everybody wants to know the story of Betty and Ian Mooney. Uh, oh, I guess you had a twin sister and a twin brother that you played off of? Uh, well, uh, Ian, I don't like to talk about much. That son of a bitch um, still owes <laughs> money, as I say. Um, but Ian was my shot, at least I thought, to be to have an evil twin. When they, when they brought that to me, it was Bruce's idea. And it simply came down, they needed another body to do something, to do one of the shows. And because at that point, Vince had, you know, Vince would have these uh, periods where he would want to do something like do body stars. If you remember that show, that disaster. Right. But uh, and, and for, at some point, and then he wanted to host Spotlight because Liz was the co-host and he thought it would be fun. I don't know. So that was short lived. And so he decided he wasn't going to do that anymore. They needed somebody to host it. And I they didn't want to have to hire somebody to do that. And uh, I guess they came up with the concept. Bruce threw it out there, said, well, let's let's have Sean be have a twin uh, joking. I don't know. And they and was like, ah, I love it. Ah, get it. Happen. OK, <laughs> whatever. And uh, so Bruce comes to me and he says, we've got an idea that we want you to do. Uh, and you're going to have a twin. And I'm like, yes, I finally get to be a heel. I get to be a heel. I have this evil twin. Because everybody wants to be a heel. Yes, absolutely. Yes, David, you know that. We all want to be a heel. We want that opportunity in life to be a heel. Yeah. And I'm thinking all these great, oh, God, this is going to be so. I'll be doing the event center, and Ian comes out and smashes me over the head with a guitar and then takes over the event center. You know, something. I just, oh, it's going to be awesome. And basically what it turned out to be is Sean Mooney in uh, different clothes with his hair combed a different way 
and letting Sensational Sherry beat the shit out of him for uh, I don't know how long it lasted uh, for every show because w- Sherry was my co-host. That's I, really what it came down to. <laughs> I saw some of them last night when I was doing some research, really? and I I saw one where she put a. You guys were doing Easter egg stuff, and but she could she could she could lay it in there. But uh, oh, God, did the, she? If the worst, if the worst that you got was uh, what I saw, where she, where you sat on an egg and it broke on your pants with Sherry, then you were getting off easy. No, that was that was just that was nothing. She, every every week, she would find new ways to just torment me, and uh, and I, what could I do about it? She was sensational, Sherry, and if she wanted to, she could do anything she wanted to do with me. I, I was yep. defenseless. No, no, that's a shoot. People. If people knew how tough Sherry was, you you know. So there I, there was a segment somebody sent me, and I was because they were asking me about it. And it's the end of the show, and I'm trying to wrap up, and she's mad at me for something. You hear her ranting off camera, and she starts by you know throwing things at me: a t-shirt, uh, a box, and then it's real projectile objects that could to end my life: a trash can, <laughs> a chair. I'm dodging these things, really. And uh, there was one one uh, show where she came up with the idea that she wanted to tie me to a chair. Now, you can imagine how freaking nervous I am about this, regardless if there's witnesses. And they she ties me to this chair, tapes me, and I can't remember. And then the funny idea was to end, end the show, and I have – she has my mouth taped shut. <laughs> and I have a sign taped to the bottom of my shoes that says uh, – you know, see you next week or something. And I, I already have my mouth tape, whatever. And she said, I, and so I'm thinking, well, how am I going to show the, the sign? And she said, oh, don't worry about that. We'll take it. And I, so, I'm, so I'm figuring, okay, I'll just hold my feet up. No, you know, the idea was that she's going to, fl- she's flipped the chair. <laughs> so she comes up and at the end of it, and I'm like, yeah, I'm like, <laughs> she flips a chair, and I think the first thing that hit was my head. Ooh. And thank God the the riser there was carpeted. I, I probably would have been knocked unconscious. <laughs> but that's that was Sherry. And I, when we, they said, you know, we're it's uh, we're uh, moving on. We're going to do something different with Spotlight. I was never happier in my life. It was a great experience. <laughs> It, uh, I became very great friends with Sherry, but uh, I didn't. Th- I didn't know how much longer I'd live, or at least I'd end up in the hospital if they kept doing that. And that was it. That was Ian. So, so now that you have a platform of a podcast weekly, uh, any chance of uh, uh, bringing Ian back as your evil twin brother or to host a podcast? Well, one I day? have tried to keep keep him out of my life, as I mentioned. Uh, he's uh, he's a, just a, a, a freeloader. I, I hear him only when he wants something. But I've heard rumors that uh, he's been he wants to come on the show. So I don't know. We'll see. Maybe we can make it work. But I just think it would be a painful process. I don't know if you've ever seen those bits that Ryan Reynolds does with his his twin. Have you ever seen those? No. Look them up on YouTube. They're effing hilarious. I just wrote it down. Uh, I would love to do something like that with with uh, Ian. And maybe maybe one day we'll pull it off. Uh, As far as we should mention Betty, since you, you brought her up, Betty was an invention of Bobby Heenan. Of course. That was, he would just, of course uh, she was. Why wouldn't she? Yeah. Be? There was never a point where I got to be Betty, uh, despite any fantasies I may have had of living that dream. <laughs> <laughs> but that was Bobby, and he would just throw that stuff in there. And people go, did you like that he picked on you? I said, are you kidding me? Bobby Heenan was burying me. How much more 
could you want in life? He put me over so much. You have no idea. Yes. I love Bobby. I love every second that he would bury me. I, I, I couldn't wait for him to because it just put me over. It, yeah. it, it, it was job security. So. I don't know. I don't know that there's ever been a person and, and one person in the business that when Bobby Heenan buried them, they weren't like thrilled like it was the highlight of their yeah. day. It's like, well, look, I mean, Sean Mooney, who? Because that was the thing. Even after I left, he would say things like that. But to this day, I mean, all the time I was gone, this is how many years later, but this is before I even started the podcast. I'd be somewhere and somebody would say, Sean Mooney, who? And I'd be, uh, yeah, that's, you know, that, that stuck around. So yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, he used to have a column in WCW Magazine that obviously he didn't write, but um, was written for him by the editor, Colin Bowman, who was a friend of mine. And uh, for about six months, part of the shtick of the the monthly magazine was that he would heal on me. It was really Colin healing on me, but everybody thought it was Bobby Heenan healing on me. And you'd be surprised how... People actually started to real, you know, not that people didn't know who I was a little bit, but uh, your recognition level goes up when Bobby Heenan's uh, calling you out on a, a, a in WCW magazine. It was amazing. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, to this day, people one of the uh, people's favorite bits with Bobby is us out in front of uh, the Manhattan Center with him doing those different costume changes, trying to get into the to Monday Night Raw the oh, first episode. Yeah. I mean, that that to me was what those were some of the my my favorite moments ever was working with him in those situations because uh, we didn't folks. It wasn't scripted like we see things today. This was stuff that Bobby's going to come out dressed as this person and then you guys go and just make sure you say this. Make sure you talk about tickets or whatever. And so you look at that stuff, it's all spontaneous. My reaction when he had on the Hasid outfit the, <laughs> was, and, and I really, I, there were times I, I almost broke There's t- where he almost got me, uh, where he's choking on the beard and just, it, 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 he was just somebody else. He could make me laugh just by you know, just him breathing. He was just so damn funny. It, it's it's funny. The two things, we may not have a lot in common, uh, yep. but me and you, but I think that we'd agree from judging from your stories and my stories that the two things we have in common uh, were that uh, we both were honored uh, to be able to work and get to know personally me and Gene Oakland and Bobby the Brain Heenan. And if those, yep. for me, if that's, if those are the only two things that's I got career, to yeah. accomplish in my, in my life, yeah. Uh, you know, in my professional life, then that was it was worth it because they were just two of the classiest, funniest people on the on the planet, and and didn't act like they, you know that they went out of your they they went. Nobody has a bad word to say about these guys because they could have buried you. They could have. Uh, they, yep. they didn't like you. They could have buried you. But Bobby and Gene would would go if if they didn't like you. They just didn't mention you. You know yeah. what I mean? But yeah. but but if they liked you, God, they would do anything for you and your families. And God bless both of those guys. And and, uh, and if, if if only I if those were the only highlights that I had in my professional wrestling career and I have so much more, um, that would be enough uh, for sure. Hey, did yeah. you ever get to travel and socialize with the wrestlers or mostly just uh, the announcers? No, I did. I, uh, you know, because I would go to a lot of the TV tapings. And, uh, you know, and got to know many of them well. Uh, 
uh, before we, we talk about that, though, I just want we should mention two other people that were just tremendous for me and, and saved me uh, initially when I was there that first year was because it was rough, you know, the, to get through the wall of kayfabe. And sure. they were still very mistrustful at that time. The business was uh, changing and Vince was bringing people in from the outside. And you can imagine the collision of the two worlds of Absolutely. old school versus these people who, who were from outside that nobody trusted. And they're what are they doing to the business? And uh, Gorilla Monsoon, who was just awesome to me. I, I loved Gorilla. You know, Gina was just so good to me. And he's another one. He if, if he didn't like you, man, you were done. If he liked you, he would do anything. Uh, he was just so uh, kind to me and so influential. And then the other one was Alfred, Lord Alfred Hayes. I mean, Alfred was just tremendous uh, to me. And we were, you know, really, really, really good friends. And I miss him every day. He was just uh, so funny. And, uh, you know, he lived in Stanford, so we got to hang out a lot. But anyway, um, the, as far as the boys go, yeah, I got to – I was on the road with a lot, a lot of them. I did you know, endless number of promos with them. Uh, the one great piece of advice that Gorilla gave me early on is, uh, you know, you can be friends with these guys, but never, ever, ever think you're one of them. If you remember that, you'll be okay. Uh, and a lot of people didn't get that, and especially people from the out, outside of that uh, world uh, would think, yeah, uh, well, I, I can hang with these guys and one of their pals, and I never did that. And, and this job was incredibly important to me, and I wanted to keep it. And so I kept, I, was, I wasn't somebody who just shunned and wouldn't you know, talk to them. Fine, I loved that part of it. But I never crossed that line. I didn't go hang out at the bars. I didn't go drinking. I didn't go to their parties. I didn't go back to hotel rooms because I knew what that life was like. I mean, we, it's been docu well documented at this point. Back then, I knew what was going on. And it was a dangerous lifestyle. These guys, uh, many of them, some not, didn't, but many of them did. And I didn't want one of those nights to happen. I didn't want to be where the police ended up. I didn't want to be something where something really bad happened. And just by association, I got involved. So I would go down to the bar. I'd go around, say hi to everybody, maybe have a beer. And then I was gone. And uh, that's the way I always kept it. So um, there was some I got really close to. I got very close with Randy. Uh, got to know him really well. Uh, Hacksaw was another guy that I really liked. Coco Beware was another it was somebody else who was really great to me back then. And you know, Hillbilly Jim, I, I did a lot of appearances with him. Um, you know, but I always kept that respect. I guess that's what you'd call it, that uh, level of, and that we were different. And I understood it, and I totally respect what you do. But I'm not, I'm not one of you. And that was the best piece of advice I ever got from uh, Gino. Really was. I never got to meet Gene or Al, but uh, oh. but but so many people talk uh, oh, talk yeah. about you know. And I know Bobby loved Heenan, them. Bobby Heenan loved Gene Okerlund like uh, like a brother. Uh, yeah. And um, so yeah, I was there the night that he found out that uh, that Gene had passed, and uh, he was pretty inconsolable. But he did go on the air and. Oh, you mean with Gorilla when Gorilla yeah, passed? Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. With Gorilla yeah. passed, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, uh, and. Uh, He's pretty inconsolable, and uh, but yeah. he, he went on. The show must go on, and he went out there, and he said what he had to say, and then they he let it go past him. But we had yeah. a we had a trailer out back with announcer's trailer, and it was uh, it was hard to watch. Um, so uh, it was it was 
So you talked about how this job, you loved it, it was important to you. At some point, you walked away, which a lot of people don't do. Talk to me a little bit about uh, why you walked away and if you had any regrets. Yeah, young and stupid, I think was part of it. Uh, <laughs> but also, there was a lot going on. Then this was 93, and the, the uh, company had changed a lot. We had really been um, family entertainment up to that point. And I really loved that part of it. And we were starting to change kind of going and doing things that were a little bit more, I don't know, uh, I, I, you know, it was just it was changing. And of course, Vince was had a lot going on. And I, at that point, had to, had to make a decision. I wanted and I needed to make a decision. I'd been with the company for five years um, and I wanted to do other things. I'd always so it was kind of a decision. Do you want to do this, uh, be a wrestling announcer for your career, or do you want to take a shot and try and do some other things? And if it doesn't work out, maybe you can come back. And so that was my thinking at the time. And uh, you know, uh, looking back, I think I, I wish I would have stuck around. I think uh, I would have loved to have been part of that Attitude Era and and have been uh, you know there. But uh, you know, things. Like I said at the beginning of this, when we talk, I have had this incredible ride uh, along the way. And I think that if I would have stayed there, I wouldn't have experienced what I've experienced since. And uh, so I, 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 if I'm completely honest, yeah, I do have a regret about it that uh, I left. I think that I could have done a lot more. And, and it was one of my frustrations at the time was that I was the event center guy and I wanted to do other things. I felt that I could do more uh, uh, feature stuff. And, and I was doing some, you know, Coliseum videos and I thought I'd shown them that I could, I had this range, but, uh, at the time the event center was really important and they tried to bring in people to maybe give me some relief or even replace me. I don't know, but they, they just couldn't do it. it. It was, it was, uh, half of the reason I probably stayed this because of my fortitude. I could sit there for hours. My voice was strong. I mean, it, 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 it had been built up over the years and I had it down. I could get in front of that camera and ad lib the cards. We didn't have teleprompters with it. The teleprompter we use is just to put the, with the camera is just to put the card up in front of me. Right, right, right. So it was, uh, there was just some frustration going on there. And I'd uh, recently been married. I mean, I don't know. It was just uh, that, that time. And, and I made that choice, which that's the way it happens. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think I do regret it in some ways because the, the company went on to from there. And uh, I'd be retired by now. <laughs> I wouldn't still be working my ass off doing two podcasts and uh, and working at, and doing a morning show every day. So, yeah. Any, there any, you have it. Sir. Any any discussion at the time or uh, uh, any time later with WCW? Because obviously WCW is at the time and very shortly thereafter with the start of the Monday Night Wars uh, looking for every and all the uh, WWE, WWF wrestler personality. So did you ever have any communication with them? That was fun. It's funny about that because Vince was convinced that I was going south. I mean, he was. He just said, just tell me. I, I had this, I prepared this, my departure. I, did, I wrote up a little letter and uh, Kevin Dunn came over with me and went to the building and sat down with Vince. And I told him uh, the absolute truth. I just said, Vince, I don't, I don't know uh, where I'm going here with this. I, 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 uh, I've been doing the event center for a long time. I wanted to do more. 
And I just feel that, uh, you know, I want to go out there and, and try new things. Hey, listen, the whole thing. And he said, so when do you start down south? <laughs> like, Vince, I'm not. I said, if I'm going to, if I was going to stay in professional wrestling, I work for you. That's it. I don't go anywhere else. So I'd never had a conversation before that. I didn't have any conversation after the only Eric never called me. And I remember there was, I did have a conversation with Tony. Uh, Shivani. And uh, he just asked me, would you have any interest? And I said, nah, I've got some other things going on now and, and maybe down the road. I don't know. But I, but we never, it was never any, it was, I, I was friends with Tony. And that's kind of the conversation it was. And I, and I told him, I said, I told him, you know, if, I said, if I wanted to do this, I'm working for the WWE. That, that's who I would work for. And that was it. Never got another phone call, never got any other interest. That was uh, never heard from you know, Eric or anybody that was, uh, they weren't, uh, interested. Correct me if I'm wrong. That was right around the time that he lost, that Vince lost, uh, Bobby and Gene, correct? Which is probably why. Yeah. Shortly after. Yeah. Gene lost shortly going. after. Yeah. Yeah. So. Hey, yeah, so that wasn't, wasn't Carl, part of it. Carl Hayes on Twitter wanted to know your favorite moment, uh, working for WWE. Was there like a WrestleMania that stands out or an angle that stands out or, a uh, a conversation, uh, uh, interview, anything that stands out to you? Oh man. So many. Uh, well, I mentioned the, uh, Bobby and I in front of the Manhattan center. That's certainly one of the highlights. Absolutely. Uh, this, doing those Coliseum videos. I had such a blast doing those because when we did them initially, David, they, they had no idea what to do with them. It was basically just get, you know, throw these matches together and get Mooney and, and Hayes to, and Alfred to, to put a bridge between them somehow. That was really it. We would just wing it. We would go and get some props and dress up and do whatever. And so those 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 days were just so much fun. And and people don't see now they see the WWE as this gigantic corporation, which it is, thousands and thousands of people. Back then it was not a huge company. We knew everybody. I knew everybody. Uh, Kevin Dunn was in Edit One, and uh, we were all this tight little community. And so we could do a lot of things with uh we had a lot of freedom now there's no way it would be a 20 person production and everything else that goes with it over three days we would shoot these in an afternoon yeah with kevin granith who was the producer so those were awesome i i think of, a, of an event and i've mentioned it before but uh the SummerSlam 92 to me was just one of the greatest events ever uh, it was to go over to you know wembley I got to go there. I had never really spent a lot of time in Europe. I'd gone and played rugby over there, uh, gone on a tour there. But, but that was my – I had never really gotten to see London. And to, to go there and do that event and just how giant it was in that match with Brett and Davey. And, uh, you know, it was just it was just phenomenal. I loved every minute of that. So that one, if there's an event that really stands out to me, it would be that SummerSlam. That's awesome. Um yeah. So how'd you, how'd you find your way back to the business? Uh, it seems to happen to everybody these days. And, uh, I know. It's, it's always an interesting story. So, you know, you'd, you've been uh, 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 newscaster, sportscaster, uh, where I think you did a little bit with Fox Sports. Uh, yeah. And so how'd you find your way? Other than I know WWE brought you back a couple times for uh, like anniversary shows. But other than that, how'd you, how'd you find your way back to get a podcast and, and, and be like a full-time wrestling quote unquote observer again? Yeah, it's, it's crazy how things happen. Uh, and you're right. They, uh, WWE, I, th there'd been a couple of times where they put out feelers. They actually brought me back there and 
God, was it in 2012 or something? To possibly come back, they actually had me audition basically again. Oh, cool! And I was I was set. It got to the point where Kevin, uh, you know, I'm close was close to a couple of people there, and they called me and said, "Can you can you be in Cleveland on Tuesday?" And then nothing, nothing. I never heard a, an explanation what happened, and I other things came up, and I just went on. But uh, and they a couple other things with documentaries. I think I did one interview. So I've really been totally out of it. And um, I uh, went back for that uh, thousandth episode. And I just remember my Twitter blew up as far as followers. And one night I, t- I took my son with me and uh, he's, he was very into that stuff. And it set this stuff up for me. And we we're driving to the airport. We, I took him. They were there for like 27 hours the entire trip. But that was really cool having him there with me. Sure. And he, he said, Dad, look at this. And I said, what? He goes, your Twitter followers have just blown up. It's crazy. And all these people saying, I marked out. That was the, my mark of the night. Mooney came back. And so that kind of started the uh, people getting back in touch with me. And uh, I started getting calls to go and do some appearances at these shows. And I, I just didn't... I just fe- I just felt like it would be like the wrestler for me. I'd be sitting at a table and who the hell wants to come over and say, <laughs> I had a Mooney for God's sake. What am I going to tell him? So I didn't do, I did a couple and that was cool, but then I just kind of stayed out of it. And then I got a, uh, I don't know if it was a Twitter DM from Court Bauer with MLW. Sure. And, and Court sent me this uh, rather lengthy DM saying, have you ever thought about doing a podcast? Tell some of your stories. And uh, if you're interested, we'd l- I'd love to have you come on board with the MLW network. And I was like, what? And, but the way he kind of put it, I was saying, well, I'll, I'll at least respond. And so we started this correspondence going back and forth. And the initial idea was, okay, we'll get you a co-host and uh, he'll come on. And then he will ask you questions about the business. And I'm like, that's what everybody does. And I don't have that many stories that I, at least I'm thinking that anybody would want to hear. And I'm thinking, I'm the guy who asked the questions. That's what I've done. So I said, well, if I'm going to do this, maybe I'll get somebody to do it with me. And that way, if I can get a superstar to do it, and then that way I know how to get stories out of them, and then things will come out of me because I'll remember it. Maybe it'll be something. So I started thinking, like, who could I get? And as I mentioned, you know, Hacksaw, I always got along great with Hacksaw. I always had such a great time with him. He's a natural comedian, made, made me laugh all the time. Absolutely. And I thought, well, and he's still very active. You know that. The guy's yes. somewhere every week, if you follow him on Twitter. He's, yeah. he's somewhere. He's, he's in Hawaii and he's all going. Every week, the guy still, he works as much as he did when he was uh, back in the day. But at least now he takes uh, Deborah with him, his wife. Yes. So um, I thought, you know, that would be fun to do with Jim. So I, I tracked him down and I can't, if I got, I got his phone number from, uh, I can't remember some of the people that I, uh, the uh, promoters that had contacted me and I called him and nothing, no return, nothing, no, so I call him again, nothing. And so a third time he picks up and I said, Jim, it's Sean Mooney. Oh, hey, Sean. So I, I pitched him this idea and, and the, just Nothing on the line. Just, he's just like listening. I'm thinking, he's going, why the hell do I get out of this? So I said, look, just, I'll tell you what, we'll do, let's just do a pilot. And uh, we'll do, we'll do an episode. We'll just get on and we'll do an episode. And so anyway, he agreed to do it. And we did it. And court thought it was great. 
And he said, well, let's just start doing some episodes. Well, uh, if anybody knows about podcasts and David, you know what I'm talking about. When you start doing these things, you, and to wrestlers, it's, it's about, is it lucrative? Am I going to make some money from this? Well, it takes a long time. It, yep. it is. It's not something that happens. If you got to really be persistent with this and God love Jim, he stuck in there with us for about 20 episodes. And he was also doing a lot. Like I said, he had all these events going on and we're, you know, the first is like, okay, 90 days. And then they evaluate you and see where you are. And then it's another 90 days to get paid. And it was just terrible. I mean, the first year, nothing. I mean, we aren't. And, but anyway, those, he, he hung in there for 20 episodes. God love him. And, uh, great stories. And then he said, I've got too much going on. And I, and we was really getting tough to book time where we could actually sit down because he traveled so much. And then when he came home, he just wanted to relax. Sure. Anyway. So he just said, I, I can't do it anymore. So I'm like, okay, now what do I do? Do I just hang it up? And I had initially thought I wanted to do something called when they were coming up with names, I wanted to call it the event center and I would have guests if I could get guests. But then I'm thinking, how the hell am I ever going to get a guest? These guys don't even remember me. But at this point I said, well, I'm kind of established now. We have a pretty good, a decent base of people that are listening every week. Let's just see. And I just went week to week, whoever I could get. And now we're, <laughs> Welcome to my life. Yeah, no, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And even, you know, Conrad, who uh, I've gotten to be very good friends with, said, you know, when I told him, you're going to get gas every week, you know, like, uh, good luck with that. And he goes, why do you think I do what I do? I don't, I'm not going to do that because it's so, but we're well over a hundred episodes now. And I really like uh, the, I love getting people that uh, people aren't used to hearing from and different perspectives from the business, because you and I both know that sure. It's awesome to get, to get somebody uh, who's a really established star that everybody knows. But remember at the same time, they have done, a thousand of these. Absolutely. They've told us the, the, you know, the shoot interviews, they've told the same stories over and over again. And although I think I always have a very unique perspective, I love the episodes with people like Harry Smith, who's got a, a perspective on his father, Davy boy that nobody else has. Or you talk to, and I'm you know, like one of my episodes I'm working, I want to get uh, a part of Gino's family, Gorilla's family, to talk about him because Gino was this tremendous family man. His family was so important to him. So I'm always thinking that my producer uh, valve never turns off. And I'm always looking for those guests. And, and uh, you know, folks listening, if you go through my, my guest list, you'll see that. I have people that you would never really expect to hear from. Uh, we've got an episode coming up soon. Uh, with the the creators of uh, uh, the Dark Side of the Ring, that it's it's a great episode. I just loved hearing about how they create things. So there's there's all kinds of uh, different walks of life uh, in the podcast, and that's what I love about it, and that's what I think separates it from others. The set the second one I ever did in that same vein. Uh, second episode I did was with Nick Patrick, uh, was a wrestling referee, if mm-hmm. you remember. And he, he was. And then the reason I picked Nick is because I had seen him at a uh, fan fest, and he had never told the story. And I don't know if you remember this or you're out of the business, but there's a famous uh, deal at uh, Starcade when uh, Sting finally wrestled Hollywood Hogan, which was built up for like two years. It was like the biggest build up in the history of WCW ever yeah and there was supposed to be a fast count that nick 
didn't count fast enough and 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 for years the the lore was you know did did hulk tell nick to count slow did did eric tell you know so the story had never been told so i was like you willing to come on the podcast and tell it he's like hell yeah so we told it and um it really wasn't that much of an eventful story, but the fact that he finally told the whole background of, uh, you know, all day trying to figure out what he was, you know, you know, he was getting 42 different uh, finishes from 42 different guys. And finally he figured that, uh, that the moral of the story is, and people could go back and listen, but moral of the story is finally he figured that if he can't a little fast, but not too fast, then nobody, he'll please everybody and nobody will uh, be upset. And, um, and so that kind of went viral and stuff. But yeah, I uh, I, I like looking at, at 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 all sides of the business. And a lot of times, the most entertaining uh, guests that you have are guests that are not pe- names that people might necessarily uh, know, but but are people that have contributed so much to the business, either behind the scenes, uh, as a producer, as a writer, as a as an announcer. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's fun and, and yeah, you talked about over a hundred. This is one oh one, so thank you for being on it. And yeah, my uh pleasure. And uh let's stay in touch, man. I appreciate you having me on. And it was great great to hear your story, because like I said, I, I pretty much knew none of that. And so uh I'm hoping that for the fans who might listen to your podcast and enjoy hearing stories from other people that they might get to hear your story because uh it's a, actually a very cool story and uh I uh I, I'm, I'm waiting for the uh, for the ebook, um, uh, how to pick up girls by Joe Nate. So, that's <laughs> as awesome. told by Sean Mooney. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It, it yeah, would be a very David, short. Really, it's, it would be a very yeah. not to cut you out. Be a very short ebook. Walk into a <laughs> walk into a room and let people know you're Joe Namath. Yeah, there you go. I'll just stand here, and when uh, I'm ready to leave, you you'll come with me. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but it really it is my. Uh, you know, I look back, and sometimes you uh, you take it for granted. But man, I it has just been an incredible ride, and I have uh, truly been blessed, the good and the bad along the way. But man, it was uh, it's been one hell of a ride, and uh, still got a lot left to do. But really, it's a, it's amazing for me to look at it and, and think, boy, I get, I got to do all that. And uh, I hope that uh, folks will uh, check out a Prime Time with Sean Mooney. Uh, it's uh, we got a lot going on there, and I also got a new one, David. I'm doing. It's not even related to wrestling, called Upside of Forty, which is for uh, men over forty. And it uh, well, and it, it doesn't even matter if you you could be a, a woman with somebody, a man over forty in your life, and you want to hear about what's going on. And we cover just about every topic you could possibly imagine, from you know cooking a great st- uh, steak to uh, you know, uh, improving your sex life to, oh, I got uh, to ch- check that one out. Yeah. Then. Check that one out. Just, that was just out, but uh, we got other ones coming up, you know, about what you, the experience of a colonoscopy, all, all the stuff of oh, men of yeah. a certain I've, age. I've lived that myself. But, uh, yeah. And, uh, hey, you be know sure and, and, and you, yeah. you know, my, 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 my biggest advice, I don't know if you mentioned this, uh, is, uh, is, uh, aloe to- aloe wipes. Oh Yeah. <laughs> Aloe wipes no, the night before. Metamucil, David. The Metamucil night before, aloe wipes, man. It was yeah. it was painful at about five a.m. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> but uh, uh, we we were going way off. Uh, up. Yeah. But hey, I look forward yeah. to, to listening to that. If for anything to uh, not to learn how to make steaks, 
but the other thing he yeah. said, but I, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll have to include an episode, uh, dating tips from Joe Namath. There you go. I love it. <laughs> hey, thanks so much. You know, we, we didn't really know each other other than, you know, taking yeah. a photo and a short conversation, yeah. Yeah. but it's been great to get to know you. You're a great guy. And, um, and thank you again for having me on and thank you for coming on City ringside episode 101 and, uh, very, best of luck in your future. And I'm sure we'll see each other down the road here very soon. All right, David, best of luck of the next hundred and, uh, I'll see you down the road, brother. I want to thank Sean. That was a fun chat. I uh, love the cocktails with Joe Namath stuff. I'm a bit jealous. I got to say, I've done my cocktails with Ric Flair and Arn Anderson and, and Fit Finley, but uh, never cocktails with Joe Namath. So a uh, little fun story about his journey and, uh, and, and interesting of what might have been if he'd stayed with WWF, WWE, but uh, he's got out to be a very successful broadcasting career. So God bless him. And now found his way as so many of us do back in the world of professional wrestling in 2019 so i want to thank him and i hope you enjoyed that and if you haven't already be sure to check out my chat with him on his podcast where we chat about my uh my perseverance so to speak like i said uh, i might use that clip as a eulogy uh when it comes that time hopefully not too soon uh be sure to check me out on Twitter if you haven't already at David Penzer or at Penzer Ringside. And I'd love to hear from you, as always, about anything professional wrestling, your thoughts on AEW, your thoughts on Evolve, your thoughts on WWE, uh, your thoughts on this podcast, and your thoughts on uh, potential great guests down the road. Thank you for 100 episodes. We are at 101, and we are not looking back, folks. So until next time, this is David Penzer, Center Ringside. Follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer. Also, make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Radio Influence strives to bring you excellence in podcasting. We work with personalities like TV chef Brian Duffy, radio personalities like Ian Beckles, news and political pundits like independent journalists Frank and Tracy Beans, experts from the sports world like veteran football scout and coach Chris Landry, pro wrestling personality David Penzer, MMA experts Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan, and strength and conditioning coach Jeff Crochelle. If you're looking for food, sports, music, entertainment, politics, no matter the topic, Radio Influence has something for everyone. Everyone. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.